have something on my heart that we're going to uh, do today. It's kind of a, uh, well, I'll just tell you how it came about. Yesterday I was, I'm, I've been doing this whole thing on uh, apostles and apostleships and second year. And uh, I was preparing yesterday, uh, just a few minutes before the, uh, my session, to, and, uh, and I was just sitting down, just thinking and preparing. And I, I felt like the Lord, and I, it wasn't audible, but it was very clear, like, I don't want you to speak on that, I want you to speak on marriage. I was like, okay. And so I, did, I wasn't prepared, I just walked up to the podium and said, I'm supposed to speak on marriage. And, and then, so that was yesterday, so I did an hour on talking about covenant and marriage and how many of you were in uh, this Sunday's service? Yeah, so I, I have, you know, as those of you that were in the service that were really godly, you, uh, you know, as I shared, I've had this whole thing about covenant on my heart for, it's probably, I don't know, it's going on three months. It's just like, it's almost like a plague. It's just, if there's such thing as a good plague, you know, I got a good plague going on in my heart and and so, uh, so yesterday I taught on, on, on marriage covenant. It was very, I know, honestly, it wasn't organized or deep. I just walked to the podium and started talking. And, and then today um, I asked, I, I felt like this, that I was supposed to ask Kathy to come and do questions and answers with me. So she did that in second year. We just finished just a couple minutes ago. And so she's going to come in a, in a little bit. And... Uh, I don't, I don't know if she's here yet. Are you here yet, baby? I don't think she is. So uh, I, I'm going to take about, I don't know, 20 minutes or 30 minutes and just give you a little bit of what's on my heart. And then um, I want to just talk about marriage. So and I, what time am I done? 3.45. Oh, good. So that will give us some time. Um, what, what's that? The marriage anointing you want to be on there? He's single. Okay. You know, it was really, I got to tell you this, this really uh, quick testimony. We had questions and answers, and so one of the, you know, today uh, in, in school, in, in second year, and so one of the, one, one person stood up. Every time somebody stood up, I said, are you single or married? Because the questions and answers, we asked them to keep it around marriage. And so, uh, you know, so this girl stands up and she says, I'm, I'm engaged. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. And she said, yeah. I said, who are you engaged to? And she said, to this guy right here. And I said, and Kathy said, how did you get, get engaged? How did you meet? She said, we met, in, obviously, in school. And she said, he squeezed my hand when Chris. <laughs> Holy Spirit, come. Huh? So, you guys know we have, an on, we have an online dating site, On Day 6. It's called On Day 6. Do you know that? I don't know if you know that, but it's called On Day Six. And, you know, that's when Adam met Eve on Day Six. So, yeah, there's like 5,000 people on there, so, you know, and um, they're, they're supposed to be believers. I mean, we haven't checked their ID card, but so uh, you can just get on ondaysix.com and you can see our, our website. So it's, a, it's actually pretty cool. Um, if you don't believe in online dating, don't complain, just don't use it. Solved. 
I don't believe in online dating. Well, then don't get online and date, you ding dong. There's no, that's ding dongs were for people out there, and there's none in here. So why don't you grab hands? If you're not sitting strategically by now, you just aren't a very strategic thinker. And why don't we just boldly like turn to the person next to you and say, I would really like to take you out for coffee if, you, if you're single. <laughs> okay, there it is. All right, let go of hands and we'll pray. The Holy Spirit, we thank you for what you're doing. Amen. You know, um, I, I, you guys have been gone for like, what, two and a half weeks? It feels like forever. Don't leave again. I don't like it. I, I can't control you, but if I could, I would make you stay home. We should have a big Christmas, like nobody leaves. Their parents have to come. That, that would be awesome. Right. So, uh, so for the last month, I've been teaching on covenant, and so you guys have been gone for, a, probably several of you have been gone for a bunch of that, so I'm kind of jumping into, this would be, this would be like session four of that, of that series, and by the way, I think you can get online, it's, uh, it's we're doing a, we're, we're actually going to do a, a um, uh, product out of it, so it's only going to be online for about a month, so you should get online and listen to it. I think the first, first uh, part of the series is called finding your destiny when you find your people, something like that. It, it might be reversed, but it's something like that. It has something to do with finding your destiny and finding your people. Um, how many of you heard that message? Yeah, that was really a prophetic word for our body. Um, but I, So I, I've been doing this whole thing on covenant, and, and I, I want to talk to you a little bit about covenant. Uh, my goal would be that we would have about 25 minutes with Kathy here to, uh, to do questions and answers. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, last year's class, they bought several of our leaders gifts. And one of the, the gift they bought me was they, they asked some of my friends, hey, what would Chris want? And um, they said, and they, you know, through, obviously they asked me and I said, well, I'd want a welder, a MIG welder. Well, they, they gave me a gift certificate for it and I just never got it because I just never had time to actually learn how to use it. And so about a week ago, I actually said, hey, I'm going to go down. And I, had my, I had vacation, so I'm like, I'm going to go get my MIG welder. I'm going to watch some videos. I'm going to learn how to use it. So I went and bought it, and I got the video that came with the machine, and I, I, I was watching the video, and, 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 the, and the guy said something, and I, I realized why I didn't get the machine. Now, I'm making it spiritual now. I didn't think I got the machine because I didn't have time to learn how to use it, but I realized that there was probably another reason in the Lord's heart. So I'm watching the video, you know, it's just like, you know, it's just a video with an instructor talking about welding. I mean, how spiritual can that be? And he's got two pieces of metal, and he's saying, and he's, he's, he's saying okay, we're going to teach you how to use your MIG welder. And a MIG welder is a, a welder that uses uh, um, electricity to heat the metal, and it has a piece of wire that comes out of it. 
um, that, that follows any, any, any kind of, it follows the welder, if you will. And so, and, and then he says this. So he's, he's, he, you know, does a little bit of the safety stuff. And then five minutes into the video, he said, welding is all about controlling the heat so that two pieces of metal melt together and become one. And then he said, and the welding rod is just the conductor between the two pieces of metal so that the two pieces of metal will conduct heat one towards the other so that they will eventually melt together and become one piece of metal. And I, I'm looking at this, and I know this may not sound too profound, and I'm like, oh my Lord, this is a parable. This is a parable. The welding rod is like love, right? Love bonds us together, but love creates that, 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 love creates that connection where what's happening in this, if, metaphorically, what's happening in this piece of metal is happening in this piece of metal so that the two of them, they grow in passion until they flow together as one. And, and, you, and you know, if a good weld, if you break, if you, if you try to break, uh, if you try to break apart metal that's been welded together, the place where it's welded is the strongest place in the connection. Like, it will break everywhere else before it will break in the weld, if you've done the weld right. And I'm like, well, this is really cool. And, and, and I, I want to read you what I wrote first, and you may have seen it on Facebook, because I know a bunch of you are on my Facebook, and if you, you aren't, you should. <laughs> and you should get my little app that I tell you, I have an app. Yeah, and you should write a, a review on it, because I need reviews, because I redid the app. I renewed the app, and it got rid of all your reviews, so I need... 200 reviews. Yes. And if you give me a review, I will do something special for you. I have no idea what that will be. I will probably say thank you. That will probably be what I'll do special. Um, anyway, you can get on um, just the, uh, the Apple, help me, Apple app. Yeah, Apple Store. And you can just download the app right on the App Store. And it's uh, KV Ministries. And you can get free, it's everything, everything's free, the app's free, everything's free. Um, but here, anyway, let's move on from advertising. I, I wrote this on Facebook and I always get really, I, I really love people. Don't marry the person you fall in love with. A fall is an accident, not, not an act of your will. If you fall once, chances are you will fall again for someone else. A great marriage is never an accident. It's a covenantal choice that two people make with each other for life. It's only in the soil of this garden that true love can take root in the hearts of its companions. If you do fall in love, you better make a covenant to grow in love because what happened, what, what, I'm sorry. If you do fall in love, you better make a covenant to grow in love because what began as an accident needs to be done on purpose. So people are like, I fell in love with him. No problem. You better make a covenant to grow in love because falling in love won't keep you in love. Because if you fell once, you'll fall again. <laughs> now, I want to say this. I really believe in passion. You, you know that, right? You're first-year students, but you've been here long enough to know. Like, I believe he who comes to God must believe that he is and he's the reward of those who diligently seek him. I believe in reward. I believe in passion. I believe in fun. I believe in 
you know, Psalms 34, 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. So I believe in abundant life. I believe in all that. Are you with me? And, and, and has that not been preached really well here? Not just by me, but by the whole team. Like, shouldn't your relationship with Jesus be fun? Okay, so, and do you know that, that I believe that and that your leadership believes that and, that and, and I want you to believe that? Are you with me? Okay, so this next 10 minutes is going to be harder. Because here's the part that we don't preach very often and I'm concerned about. See, I believe that passion and, and sacrifice is what creates a great marriage. And, and not just a great marriage with each other, like, you know, husband and wife, but a great marriage with the Lord. And I think that we emphasize passion, and we should, by the way, because it's so, been so de-emphasized forever. But I, I'm concerned that we do not emphasize sacrifice and people, when they lose passion, they think there's something wrong because they never heard about sacrifice. And it's, it's passion and sacrifice that create the heat that actually that bonds people together. Not just passion. It's the, it's the red-hot passion uh, of love, but it's also the sacrifice of love. And by the way, you can only love to the level that you can be hurt. The people who will hurt you most in life are the people you love the most. That's just a fact. I don't know anybody, even secular person, who would disagree with that. Like, you know, how many of you have children? Uh, 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 listen, you don't even know to what depth of love you have until your children do something or experience something that is painful for them and you find yourself, like there is, you don't need a class on, how do I get compassionate? Listen, if you're in covenant with your family, nobody has to tell this piece of metal, when this piece of metal gets hot, this piece of metal gets hot. No one has to tell it to. Like, there's no class I need to go to that goes, well, this is how to get this one hot when this one's hot. Guess what? Whatever happens to this one, happens to this one because they're one. People are like, how do I, you know, how do I weep with those who weep? Uh, the problem isn't, a, the, the, the problem isn't a skill. The problem isn't you don't understand covenant. If you don't know how to weep with people who weep, it's not a skill. You know, it, it's pretend when you're weeping, like, okay, everyone's crying. I guess I should cry too. Like, oh, please, can we stop that? See, if you're in covenant with somebody, when they weep, you just, you're doing everything you can to not weep because when that metal cries, this metal cries, metaphorically speaking. You're connected. You can't, you can't help it. As a matter of fact, you're trying to control the level of pain you're feeling so you can be of help to the person if it's your children. And, and all parents know that. Isn't that true? And it's the same thing with your spouse. So, um, so you know, lo love is not an accident. I fall in love. Listen, there, there's, you know, I understand what we mean by I fall in love, and maybe you're just saying, well, this is a play on words. But the truth is, is that it can be love at first sight or whatever words you want to use for I fall in love. I, it was love at first sight. But I'm going to tell you, love at first sight will not sustain you through hard times. It's only covenantal love that will sustain you through hard times. Ooh, this is painful. So in, in the, uh, the book of Ruth, which I read uh, three times in three, in three teachings over the last month, so uh, I'm sorry for those of you that heard this so many times. Um, Ruth is Naomi's 
daughter-in-law, Naomi's uh, husband and two sons have both died. And so Ruth's husband is dead and Naomi's husband is dead. Ruth and her sister-in-law are both Moabites, which means they were not Jews. Are you with me? I don't know if this is getting too complicated. but So, so Ruth says to Naomi, your sister's gone back to her. Listen, your husband's dead. My husband's dead. I release you from the obligation to take care of me because daughter-in-laws typically took care of widows. They were all, all three of them widows. And the younger widows took care of the older widows. And, they said, and, and Naomi says to Ruth, I release you from that. Go back to your people. And this is, what, this is the interaction, which is so powerful. Then uh, Naomi says to Ruth, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But listen to what Ruth says. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. Someone needs to write a song about that. So where you go, I will go. Or turn... Um, I'm sorry, where you go I will go, and where you lodge I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. For thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts me from you. If anything but death parts me from you. This, this is a covenant. When we, how many of you have ever taken communion? What are you doing when you take communion? You're taking the what? The bread and the wine or the juice, right? What is that? Blood and body. What are you doing? You're being reminded that you're in covenant with Jesus, which means you come to die. When you get married, you know, uh, uh, Ephesians 5, this is very interesting. Listen to this. These are some verses that you'll love. Guys, you'll really love this. I'll start from the, the pretext, verse 15, therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. Do not be foolish, but understand the will of the Lord. Do not be drunk with wine, for this is dispensation, 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 something, but be filled with the Spirit. <laughs> I know. Terrible. Speaking to one another, listen, here's the pretext. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, let me just stop for a minute. Did you notice that when Paul's talking about, uh, when he's talking about, not being drunk with wine, but being filled with the Spirit, and that we're to sing uh, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and make melody in our hearts, and we're to be subject to one another. Did you notice that Paul's about to talk about husband and wife, and I'd like to propose to you that the previous few verses, he's already thinking about marriage, when he's talking about singing to one another, making melody with one another, and submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. In other words, what... If you just took those verses without the, the verses we're about to read and you said, hey, your home should be full of singing with one another, praying with one another, 
singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and being drunk in the spirit with one another and submitting yourselves to one another, how many of you know that's the beginning of a great marriage? So, so, so in, the, in the text, we'll just take a run at this, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. This is the pretext before the very next verse, which says, wives, be subject to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Okay, now, this is, seems really odd to me. We go, okay, submit yourselves one to another in the fear of Christ. That was the previous verse, right? Okay, are you with me? The very, in the very same vein, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands or be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife. The husband is the head of the wife as. Everybody say as. as. See, this is a pretty big word as. I know it's only A-S in English, but it's a pretty big word, isn't it? Because now he's going to tell me a husband is the head of the wife as what? As a slave owner is the head of a slave, as a boss is the head of an employee, as, as, a, uh, as a, uh, a master is ahead of a slave. I mean, as, this is a big word. Because this tells me in what way a woman, uh, no, a wife is to be subject to her husband. Are you with me? So, wives be subject, I'm sorry, for husband is the head, uh, wives be subject to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of of the church. Okay, so he's saying, husbands, you're ahead, you're the head the same way Jesus is the head of the church. Okay, and, and, and then you're like, okay, well, how is that? Well, what's the rest of the verse? And he gave himself up for her. So it, this seems a little strange in, in religious culture. We, it kind of goes something like this. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands die. <laughs> Very weird emphasis to me. Especially when the previous verse says, submit yourselves one to another. So, listen, I'd like to propose that husbands need to submit themselves to their wives also. You're like, well, it's not there. Well, it is in the connotation, and it is in the previous verse, submit yourselves to one another. And I would like to propose that the husband's dying for the wife, but in a covenant, the wife also dies for the husband. I, I, I think it's pretty strange when a covenant only has, like I, like, I lay down my life for you, but you don't lay down your life for me. That, that feels a little weird. So I'd like to suggest that husbands have to submit to their wives, and that women, I'm sorry, and that wives have to lay down their lives for their husbands. That, but, but Paul's talking about who leads what. So I believe that, that wives lead in the area of honor and respect, and husbands lead in the area of love that's manifest through death. So guys, at least the guys, you have to agree with this because this is the Bible. You might argue that women aren't on the same road, but you cannot argue that when you got married, you're on a death march to a life camp. And it's so strange to me that we repeat these vows with a smile on our face. For better, for worse. For richer, for poorer. Until death do us part. And we're smiling. 
The only reason we're smiling is because we're thinking about the sex we're going to have in the honeymoon three hours from now. Because if we actually thought through what we just said, I don't know that you would be anything but somber. Like I just said, I will die for you. Listen, I mean even in a happy moment when I go, listen, I will die for you. I don't smile and laugh and go, I would die for you. I'm like, no, no, I just said, if you, listen, better or worse, rich, poor, if I think through this, I don't know what's going to happen to us. Listen, what if you become, you know, a, a girl stood up in our class just t yet today and she said, my friend got in a car accident after they got married and she became a quadriplegic. And her point was, does it still work like better or worse? Well, if you thought through that, you wouldn't be smiling. But that's not what you're thinking about when you're taking the vows. You're thinking about, I'm about to consummate my marriage. And I'm thinking about for better. I'm not thinking about for worse right now. But I'd like to suggest to you, and, and this, this is always weird too, this weird counseling thing that people do, and I've heard it hundreds of times. I used to do it myself until I realized that the Bible didn't teach that. Honey, listen, your job when you get married is to make sure that all your husband's needs are met and that you follow him wherever he goes. I'm like, that's really strange because the Bible says he's the one who's dead. It's pretty easy to submit to a dead person. I submit to you, oh dead person. I, I kind of have this idea that the, it's the husband's job to help her dreams come true, and that's how he leads, because how did Christ, listen, what did Christ do? He died for the church, and then he raised her up, and he seated him with what? In heavenly places where? with Christ so if you go well a husband has authority over his wife okay if you want to make that argument the question is what does he do with it because if it's as Christ husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church as and Christ is the example of love covenant love then Christ died and then he rose from the dead and when he did he seated the bride with him exactly equal with him in heavenly places So, so I mean, so I don't know where, like, I, and by the way, you heard me say, I, I think it is really weird when we think, well, the guy's supposed to die and the girl isn't. But if you, if you want to just go, what is the actual instruction? Because we want to, you know, if you want a bit, like, really dogmatic and go, women are supposed to submit. I'm like, okay, men are supposed to die. If you went to the doctor, you know, and he said, you know, you've got a cement problem in his leg, but you're going to die. Would you, like, even remember what he said about your submit problem in your leg? I mean, even if he said, this leg has a submit problem, but you're terminal. Are you going to think about your submit leg, or are you going to think about, I'm dead? It's just a really weird deal going on here. There's just too many people alive in marriage. There's too many people. 
They've come, they've, come to, they've come to marry so they can get something instead of so they can die for somebody. And um, I have a lot more to say. I, I, I want to say a couple more things before Kathy comes. Of course, I didn't mean it the way that you just thought I did. I want to read you one more thing I wrote. Covenant expresses itself in camaraderie, but not all camaraderie is rooted in covenant. Often camaraderie is rooted in a common enemy instead of, a covenant, instead of covenant friendships. But fellowship rooted in warfare is fueled in hatred, not forged in love. Gays, for example, find a common bond in the fight for acceptance. But this camaraderie is not rooted in covenant love. Gangs also bond in the common struggle against the system and find camaraderie in battle. Bullying is another form of camaraderie. Have you ever noticed that when a person that's being bullied leaves the school, that the perpetrators find someone else to bully? This is because camaraderie without covenant needs an enemy. Yet true covenant is not rooted in a common struggle, but in a mutual love. Because covenant needs no enemy, for it lays down its life for its friends. When a culture of covenant is absent in a community, society adopts an us-and-them mentality because people's bonds are rooted in a common foe. In other words, there's a need to have an enemy for their friendship is based on who they're against. Covenant destroys the us-and-them mentality, I'm sorry, the us-and-them mindset, and bonds people through God's love and not mutual agreement. I'm concerned that The church and marriage has become camaraderie and not covenant. Because we've bonded through a mutual foe. We don't like the world. We don't like homosexuality. We don't like abortion. We don't like this. And we're together because we have a common enemy. In other words, we need something to hate. But how many of you understand that true covenant isn't rooted in who I hate? It's rooted in who I love. And I just I want to give you a few scriptures. In 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love suffers long. Say this with me, love suffers long. Say this, when I love someone, I will suffer with them. For I mourn with those who mourn. Okay, when you go, like, when your spouse is hurting, and you're hurting, if your children are hurting, and you're suffering, how many know that's called normal? I don't know why I'm discouraged. Well, what's, well, my wife's been sick for four months. Well, I don't know why you're discouraged. The person you're welded to, you're feeling the heat. It's called suffering. And it's called, wow, you actually do love them. Well, love isn't just like the little butterflies or the horny feeling you feel. Sorry, is there a different word for it? <laughs> Maybe I need to be updated. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. How many know a lot of people are laying down their friends for their life? But there's not a lot of people laying down their life for their friends. I love this. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. Paul writes to Timothy and says this. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ. 
And I'm going to finish with this, this, these verses right here. Suffer hardship. Paul required. Suffer hardship. Oh, Paul, you know, it's all about grace and Jesus did it all. And, you know, what happened to the abundant life? Well, you get abundant life when you're dead. Unless the seed falls to the ground and dies. It can fall to the ground, but if it doesn't die. Listen, if a seed falls to the ground, but it doesn't germinate, it doesn't die, it doesn't bear fruit. Right? So the, the, the goal is that you learn how to die. It's <laughs> so encouraging today. It's a great message, Chris. Thank you. Yeah, I'm telling you. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three. How many of you would like to, if you feel like you're being called to be an apostle or a prophet? Oh, just raise your hand. Don't. Hey, you know what? When I wasn't teaching this message, half of you would have raised your hand. Now you know like he's trying to trick us. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three. Paul writes this, Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if I were insane. I more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten, ten, beaten times without number, often in danger of death, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was thrown, three times I was shipwrecked, and I spent the night and day I have slept in the deep, I have been in, on frequent journeys, in dangers from the rivers, in dangers from robbers, dangers from countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers in the sea, dangers from false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure of me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without me being weak, and who is led into sin without my intense concern? You're like, Paul, you need to get the abundant life message. <laughs> Paul said, you want to know what my credentials are? I've been beaten. I've been stoned. I've been shipwrecked. I've been, I, I've been, I've been mistreated. I, I have these concerns. And you're like, Paul, be happy. Don't worry. Be happy. This isn't a message we should preach every, every week. But it is part of the gospel. You can't separate suffering from the gospel. And the reason why I think it's a great message right now is because the Lord told me that the word of the Lord for 2014 is to renew covenant. And renewed covenant means that I've come to lay down my life so that you can live. I've come to lay down my life. I've come to lay down my life. I'll share the story last Sunday, and I'll share it with you, and then, uh, Kathy, you can get ready to come. We're going to answer questions. We were, we, we've been through a lot together. You know, we've, we've had um, our struggles. We've been married 38 years, and we've been together five years before that. And, um, and you know, we, we've, we've never had long struggles with each other. Uh, we've had hours I've told you this before, but I, I, it's really, and Kathy will come, she'll tell you the same thing. We've, we've had hours of struggle with one another, but we've never had days. Uh, it's, sometimes it takes Kathy a little while to know I'm right. <laughs> but we've been, but we, you know, we, we've got a visitor's pass to hell, and they, they know us there by first name. We've been there many times just visiting other people while we struggle in hell. 
And so people who don't believe in hell, there is one. I've been there several times, been through hell. And uh, we, we used to own a, a service station, a 76 station, and this particular, uh, it, it, and it was in, we owned that station in Weirville, which was a really tough place to make a living, especially when, you know, it snowed in the wintertime. It would snow. It was, it, was, it was tough. It was really tough. And obviously people don't, they don't get their cars fixed. They don't drive. They don't do stuff in the winter. So we would pretty much starve if it wasn't for our friends bringing us food. And this particular winter, we, we were having a really tough time. Our house was in foreclosure. Um, we, we had no money. And literally the only reason there was any food on the table is because probably our friends saw our kids getting skinny and started bringing us food. And, uh, and I was really discouraged. And I was doing 12-hour days, six days a week, and just really, really exhausted. Uh, I just felt like a failure. And nothing, nothing just, like, it's one of those seasons where, you ever go through a season where you can do the right thing and it still goes wrong? Like nothing. I couldn't get anything to go right. And we were months behind on our bills, and bill collectors were calling, and there was like no money. It was like, oh, man, this is, this is not good. Well, after, you know, working 12 hours a day, one, one day I was just exhausted, and I went home about 5 o'clock. It was already dark. It was wintertime. There was probably, I don't know, a foot or two feet of snow on the ground. And I was coming home early. I, I typically would call Kathy and tell her I was coming, but, hey, I'm on my way home, but I didn't do that this day. And so I'm coming up our snow, our long uh, kind of steep snow driveway, snowed in driveway, and I, I come up our hill, and the lights are completely off in our house. There's no lights in our house. And I mean, it's, it's, it's wintertime. It's completely dark. There's no moon that night. And I'm like, where's my family? I'm like two hours early coming home. And, uh, and, I, and I get all the way up, kind of up over this hill, and I, I can see her car's there. And I'm like, well, that's weird. The car's there, but the lights are off. This is really strange. And so I, I get out of the car, and I, I walk up the deck, and I'm a little bit anxious. I'm like, where in the heck is my family? There's no lights. There's no sign that, you know, there's no sign of life anywhere. And, and it's snow on the ground. It's dark. It's, like, scary. I open the door, and the, the, the front room is lit with candles and our wood stove burning. And there are three, we have three children at the time, there are three blankets made into tents on the, on the floor in the front room. And I open the door and I say, hello, is anybody home? And, the, and three little heads stick out of the three little tents. <laughs> and they go, daddy, daddy's home. I said, what are you guys doing? They say, we're playing camping. Well, when Kathy hears me in the front room, because she didn't hear me come up the road, she comes running out of the kitchen. She's like, oh, hi, honey. And she acts a little startled. And I said, what's going on? What, 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 what happened to the lights? You know, what's... She's, oh, uh, and, and she's walking past me and walks out the front door with me, talking to me. And, um, and, and she walks over to the, the main breaker and turns the breaker back on. The main breaker. She had turned the whole breaker off. I said, what, what are you doing? She said, oh, well, you know, I know things are really tight, so... I just wanted to help, so I, I just been turning the electricity off. I said, when, when you're gone, and I just turned on a half an hour before you get home, so you, you won't have to be in the dark. And, and I, I, just, I just set up tents with the kids so they, they just think they're having fun. I said, how long have you been doing that? She said, four months. 
Never a complaint. Never, if you wouldn't have done that, if you wouldn't have made that decision, if you wouldn't, you know what, if you, would, if you wouldn't have taken that service station, if you wouldn't, never, never. In 38 years, I have never heard this woman one time ever complain about anything I've done that's caused us problems, ever. Ever. And you know what? A lot of us have grown up in a palace. That's a metaphor. But there's something about growing up in a tent. You know, you can be just as happy in a tent as you are in a palace. Those were not unhappy days. They were hard days, but they weren't unhappy days. And because my kids grew up in a tent, they know how to live in a palace. All of them are pastors. They all love God. They all love the church. They all love people. But I'm convinced it was the fact. Their mama, see, their mama taught them. In hard times, we don't complain. We build forts. And we do what we can to make the best out of a bad situation. We can either complain about it or we can build forts. And I can tell you, and my wife will, Kathy will tell you the same. My kids do not, they run out of food, they run out of whatever, but they don't complain. You know why? Because their mama taught them how to build tents. And I'm concerned that people are living in camaraderie. And when they experience any level of suffering, they think there's something wrong. And I'm like, build tents. Stop complaining. You didn't come into this marriage to live. You came to die. And it's only when you die that you live. See, we had a lot of fun with the tents. The kids still think of it as fond memories. But if you haven't come for covenant, then you feel entitled. Somebody asked me, like, when are you ready to marry? When you're ready to give up your life. I was like, oh, I don't know if I ever want to give up my life. Listen, the only reason you don't want to give up your life is because you don't realize what's on the other side of death is life. And the only way you're going to find real life is when you find, see, you don't have something worth living for until you've found something worth dying for. The struggle is that you try to keep yourself alive instead of just getting low and serving and not complaining and do what you need to do. And by the way, you're like, I don't know if I want to get married. You already married the Lord. And by the way, this is why you take communion all the time. is because you're supposed to be, remember, you've come to die. It's why when you got married on your honeymoon night, why there, there was blood in your intercourse, because you've come into this marriage to die. Blood. You've come to shed blood. too late. Some of you are like, oh, so wish somebody would have told me that. <laughs> You've come to give your life so that the other person can have life. If you come with that attitude, you're not going to complain because that's what you came. See, you said it on the time, on, on the day you were married, for better, for worse. You just didn't mean it. 
You just didn't mean it. Because if you did, and I mean all of us, listen, I'm talking about all of us. Because if we did, we would have slowed down and been somber, at least through that part, because we just realized what we just said. I will die for you. Listen, if it gets worse than it is now, I'm with you. If it gets better, we're together. Listen, money isn't going to separate us, but neither is anything but death. That's what I've come for. So I didn't, I wasn't born. I, I wasn't born in, in, in a conference. I was born in a covenant. Listen, somebody bled for you when they had you. Someone bled in intercourse and somebody bled through the birth process. It's pretty ugly, really. But it's how you got here. Yeah, it wasn't like a little door you opened up and like, okay, it's all ready. It's like, you know, Pillsbury, like, pop them up. Let's get them out. How many think God's smart enough he could have made it that way? Is there not a point? Is, does Romans 12, God's invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature, are they not revealed through God, what God made? Is not even the, 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 the uh, impregnation process and the birth process a sign of what life's going to be like? That there will be ugly times that will birth beautiful things. And when you lose the palace, then you make the best out of the tent. And when you make the best out of the tent and you end up back in the palace, you appreciate the palace because you remember the tents. And I tell you, people drive by my house and they're like, you live in a palace. Yeah, and you can't celebrate it if you don't know that I lived in tents. You can't celebrate it because you, you, don't, you don't know that that's a testimony. And by the way, I was just as happy in a tent as I was in a palace. That thing doesn't own me. I own it. Why don't you come and let's do some questions and answers. Thank you, guys. All right. So this is the way we'll do Oh, you guys are arranging how we're doing it, right? Okay, good. <laughs> yes, I was going to use my organizational skills and really impress you. <laughs> Not. So um, this, uh, this is the uh, rules. Rules. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, let's just do everything negative today. This is the rules. Have a question about marriage or covenant, okay? So if you don't, don't talk about something else. Did you want to say something first? Sure. Okay. I'll say a few things. Go ahead. Um, you know, the message that Chris brought today was so profound, and it's so good, and it's so real, and it should hit your heart so hard. Because without a covenant, without relationships, without um, going through things that, encounter pressure and seeing how you come out on the other side, you don't really know what's inside of you. Um, there's a reason 
there is a reason that you make covenant with people before you actually walk through, before you actually join their hand and walk down the aisle with them. Um, there's a covenant that's made because it's in, it, it, it's, it's really easy to say, oh, I've made a really, I've made a, a covenant with this person or I've made a covenant with that person when everything is going great and everything is going good. But it's in the true test of time once you've made that covenant and you're actually joining and linking with them arm in arm and walking through situations that you can, that you, you really find out what that person is really made of. Even more so what you're really made of. There's, um, how many of you are wanting a promotion? How come some of you are hesitant to even raise your hand? Did you think that that was an arrogant thing? Well, I, you know what? I tell you what. I'm in life for a promotion. I'm in life for a promotion. And a lot of you may have think, thought that that was a monetary thing. It has nothing to do with money. It has to do with what, how God um, looks upon you and the way he feels about you and the way he moves you from this place to this place to this place. Doesn't the Bible say we're going from glory to glory to glory. How do you guys think you're getting from glory to glory to glory? It's those covenant relationships you've made. It's those tests that you pass. It's that heat that you walk through. It's holding on to that person's hand when everything you want to do inside says just let go and, 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 and just get away. And you're like, no, I'm going to hold on. This is not very much fun right now, but I'm in it for the long haul. You know, marriage is that way. Relationships are that way. And they're worth, they're worth fighting for. You know, God, Jesus, he fought for you. He fought for me. He fought for every, every one of us. You know, he was that blood sacrifice that laid down everything so that we could live. And in marriage, you know, that, that's how it is too. You know, Chris, Chris was a cross that laid himself down for me. Because no longer was it just him. <laughs> no longer was it just him enjoying his life. He was welcoming me into his. And in doing that, he had to make room. He had to lay things down, his desires, his dreams. Um, they had to alter. They had to shift because you know, the Bible talks about two becoming one. And a lot of that has to do with compromise. And it's not always just about me, myself, and I. It's about us now. And what does us look like? Well, that really comes out in a covenant relationships because you can no longer think about things as yourself, just singly. It's, it's together. And then when you start having kids and it's a family, it's no longer is it about he and I. It's about the kids. And, the, you know, our whole world is kind of expanded. And, and covenant is just... It's amazing, and, and it's tested in the heat of time. I, I remember, um, you, you've heard our business stories and stuff, and at one point I was doing books and stuff for four, four or five businesses that we had going at, at the same time, and you know, there was a lot of pressures, and you, you already know that there wasn't any money, and, and I made a mistake one day in the checkbook, and I entered a check as a deposit instead of a check, which if you know anything or think about it long enough, you realize that that's a double whammy. And we already didn't have any money. And I, I got a phone call from the banker, and he said, 
hey, Kathy, what's going on? And I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, you're overdrawn. And I said, I can't be. And he said, no, you're overdrawn. I said, there's no possible way. He said, $25,000. And you ever get news like that and you just, your heart sinks and you just want to die. And you think, oh, my God. And then after I wanted to die, I just kept thinking of me having to tell Chris what I did. I thought, oh, my gosh. And so I went back in the checkbook, and I because at first, you know, it's like, oh, the course is the bank's fault. They made a mistake until the neon light went off in my face. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, how did I do that? How could I have been so stupid? How could I have, you know, and you just go through this whole guilt and shame thing. And the Lord said, just tell him. I'm like, oh, he's already under so much pressure already. And, and you, know, you make up all these stories in your head of how you think the reaction is going to be. And you just want to run and hide. So finally I said, honey, I, I got to tell you something. I, I made a really bad mistake. And he, he said, well, what, what happened? And I told him, I said, I made a bad mistake in a checkbook. And he said, well, we'll get through it. How, how bad? I said, bad. <laughs> you know, why couldn't it have been one of the times where, you know, it was just a $100 mistake? I'm like, $25,000. And, you know, most people would have just blown up and screamed and hollered. And, and he just stood there in front of me. And he put his arms around me. And he just loved me through it. And he said, you know, honey, he goes, we've been through a lot tougher times than this. And we're going to figure out a way. We'll call the banker. We'll ask for a little bit of time to get the checks covered. Um, God knows what we need. And that was it. $25,000 mistake. He didn't try to beat me up over it. He didn't try to call me names and say, how could you have, why didn't you, all the things that we do to other people. But he just said, you know what, we're going to make it through this. That's what covenant is about. It's about covering the other person. Even when there's mistakes that are made, whether they're on purpose or on accident, well, on purpose wouldn't be called a mistake. But you know what I mean. Whether it was done intentionally or not done intentionally, you know, covenant, covenant comes out in the heat when the pressure is there, when the things aren't very comfortable. And then you can see what we're really made out of. When we get through those times, that's where the promotion comes because God looks at it and he said, well done, good and faithful servant. You passed that test with flying colors. Now I know that I can entrust you in something greater than what you've been given. That's our whole life story. Where did it start from? Passing one test at a time. Whatever it was, you know, you could complain or you could figure it out. And I've tried the complaining part. It didn't work out very well for me. And so, you know, if it's building tents and cooking stuff on a wood stove and teaching the kids how to melt water out of snow, it's fun. You know, it's fun. Just figure it out. It's a challenge. And then when you pass that, you're like, yes, I did that. I did that. Our little grandson, Elijah, Chris just took him into the, his shop. They stayed with us this weekend, and Elijah wanted to build something out of Chris's wood tools and stuff and his power saws or power machines and equipment. And 
he came up with this idea and he crafted this little wagon and he was so proud of what he had created and what, how, what he had done because it was something that he crafted in his mind and it came out in his hands. And, and you know what? That, that's how life is. That's what covenant looks like. What can you take with nothing and make something? Present it to, to the world and say, this is what I've done for you. Yeah. All right. So, do we have some questions? questions? Right here? Yeah. Um, my name is Rafael. Are you married? I am not married. All right. Very single, available, and attractive, actually. <laughs> yeah. I speak three languages. I'm from the East don't, Coast. Don't forget about humble. Yeah. So, um... <laughs> So, yeah, in the recent, um, like, I'm, I'm Latino, I'm Hispanic, and, and in the Hispanic culture, there's a lot of um, oppression over women, and it, it's super unhealthy, and, and just getting on this trajectory towards marriage, um, and God has been giving me just a huge passion for women, and, like, what are some practical things? Of course he has. You're single. Yeah. Um, no, but just just even just even a revival group with with um, the girls in the revival group, just trying to like, what are some practical things that I can do to really sort of cultivate health in the women around me, even in my own family, even like just just as a single man, but obviously in in marriage, like what are the things that that I could do coming from me that could really cultivate health in women, if that if that makes sense. You know, when Adam was, in, was put in the garden and, it, and he was put there to cultivate and to keep the garden. And I believe that men are inherently cultivators and women are incubators. Like, you, you give a woman meat, she makes a meal. You give her sperm, she makes a baby. <laughs> you buy her a house, she makes it a home. You don't want to give her crap. You don't even want to know what happens when she incubates that. But, but I, I believe that men are inherently cultivators. And, and we cultivate, we nurture, and we protect. And, 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 you know, we cultivate, nurture, and protect. And so I, I, think, that, um, I think that even as a single man, you know, we... We, we protect our women. We cultivate in them. Uh, um, you know, and uh, when I mean cultivate, it's practically we, we let them know how lovely they are and, and, and how, um, you know, they were, they were born to be adored. You know, women were born to be adored. They are so much more beautiful than men. They're God's most beautiful creation. And they were, they were born to be adored. And, you know, while a man is to pursue a woman, but it's not hard because God made them so attractive. And so, you know, I, 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 yeah, it's the truth. It's all in the nature of God. So, you know, so uh, I, I think that you can, you can protect women. You can, you can nurture them, uh, obviously in, in, in a healthy way as, as a single man. And you can cultivate them. You can, you can, um, you know, you, you can let them know what you see in them in a, in a, you know, in a healthy, not not a throw flowers way, 
And I think those are, those are some of the things that we as men do. You, you might want to add to it. Yeah. Um, you know, men, we're not, we're not sex objects. We're not a piece of meat to be had. We're to be loved and respected. And especially when you're, you know, when you're in that dating or courting or whatever you guys call it now, relationships. Going study. <laughs> no, I tried that one with first year and they laughed really hard. So that was, that was the wrong word. Whatever you call it, hanging out, I don't know, whatever you guys call it now. Hanging out. You know. <laughs> that has to do with death. <laughs> you know, men, we're looking for you. We're looking for you guys to be in a place where you're not putting us into an awkward situation where we can feel comfortable, where we can feel relaxed. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of, I said, to, I said to second year, to the guys, wake up. Wake up when it comes to women. There's so many beautiful women and beautiful men around inside and out that are all wanting the same exact thing, each other. And yet they're so standoffish. And it's like, guys, open your eyes. Wake up. It's good. Well, I got a better reaction from you than I did from second year. (laughs) Women, women, stop being so scary. Amen. Santo. It's a good one. I mean, men will run after giants and run away from women. (laughs) Think about it. Jezebel, I run from Jezebel, but I attack the false prophets, 400 of them. You know, it's all about getting to know each other in a relaxed environment, and this is a great environment. You want to hear something? In second year... I told them. Oh, you did? Oh, that's what happens when I didn't come when you started. Sorry. Oh, well, forget it. You use a lot of words. Oh, don't even go there. Women use use a lot more words to say. That's because we have a bigger vocabulary of words. Do you want to try to swing that bat again, or do you want to keep moving on? What did you say? Yeah. Okay, who else has a question? Somebody's got to take Hi. charge of this Hi, mic. Hi, Chris and Kathy. My name is Jamie. And Are I you was married? I'm not. Okay. And I was wondering if you could speak or have any insight on the concept of seasonal covenants, the idea of if you're in a, a city or a job that is probably temporary, the, the loyalty and the connection to that, or if it's just an idea of overflowing of your covenant with the Father. Seasonal well, covenants. Well, I think that, we're, you know, we have seasonal friendships. I don't know that we have seasonal covenants. 
And I, I think that we can, you know, obviously we're, you're not talking about marriage, of course. You're talking about fr- friendships and that sort of thing, jo- jobs. I, I think that we should, make, we should make a distinction between a friendship and a covenant. In, in fact, I don't think we make a covenant till we court. Court meaning you get to know one another, whatever you want to call that word. Because, because I, I, I think I make a covenant when I get to know you. And I, because I really, because I take it serious that I've come to die for you. And so uh, I come to lay down my life for you. So I think that friendships are different than covenant. And, you know, when Kathy and I came, as you've heard many times, we've made, uh, when we came to Bethel, the third year we came to Bethel, we made a covenant with Bill and Benny. But our covenant, all, you know, every covenant has, um, it, it, w- with a covenant, it comes an agreement. And our agreement included, we will be with you forever. So, you know, people will say, could you be with, you know, could you have a covenant with Bill and could you move away? We could, but our covenant agreement was we will be with you the rest of our lives. So um, in first year, somebody asked a question, can I be in covenant with someone and not be with them? Sure, if that's the covenant, I can be in covenant with you. I can lay down my life for you. Obviously, it's not, I, I'm not going to have a daily relationship with you because I'm, you know, hundreds of miles or thousands of miles apart. But nevertheless, my heart, I carry you in my heart every day, and my, and my goal of my life is to serve you in a way that, that I, I die so you can live. So, yeah, but, but I, I, you know, I'd have to think through seasonal covenants, but I, I think I'd be more comfortable call, calling them seasonal friendships. So, I, I haven't thought through that, by the way, so you, you could be right, but I... I I more I more typically think that the kind of covenant we're talking about at least is for life. Thank you. Yes. Hi. Hi. Are you married? I just got engaged on Friday. Come on, baby. <laughs> Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Woo-hoo. Did you? Is is the guy here? He goes to the coast school. Awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. I went there last year. That's it's where we working. Met. It is. <laughs> the dream is alive. Go ahead. Um, so my question, it was actually something Jason said, but I wanted to kind of touch on it with you guys. Okay. Um, uh, it was during relationship week, and it was about how much do you process with your partner, like what you're going through versus um, counting on God to process with you through things and like what the balance is. Are you talking and about married? Or? In, mar- in engagement and in marriage and like going through that process of like you're getting to know each other, you're like um, going through your issues and they're going through their issues and it's like how much do you process with each other and then how much do you process with God and what's like the balance and I know it's different for everybody but like how do you find that balance or how have you guys found that balance within your own marriage of like when to go to your partner or when to go to God for it. Well, well, some of that I think has a lot to do with how you're wired. For instance, Kathy's a very much, very much an in, internal processor, and I think that she she needs space when she's, let's say in a let's say she's in a challenge. She needs space and she needs time alone with God to to work through it, and she's ready to talk at a certain time. And when and typically, when when Kathy first is talking through a problem, and guys, this is really simple, but it'll sound funny because it's probably been repeated a hundred times in, in the in, in, you know over my lifetime. But she's not looking for an answer; she's just looking to tell me what's on her heart. And and because guys are fixers, 
It's taken a long time to learn that when she's telling me about a problem, she's not asking me to fix it. And when I do try to fix it, it really frustrates her when she's not ready for me to fix it. And I've found that if she wants me to fix it, she'll tell me that she wants me to fix it. And she may say, what would you do about this, or how would you handle this? But, but I, I, it's taken me, and I'm not, I'm not perfect at it, but I am better at it. It's taken me time to learn that when she's ready to process, she's not looking for an answer. She's looking to tell me what's on her heart, which seems very odd for a guy. Because for a guy, if I'm processing with you, I'm looking for an answer. So ladies, this in fairness, typically, this is partly how we're typically wired different. I understand that this is a little bit of a stereotype, but it works for most of us. It's like when a guy is processing, he's looking for an answer. When a woman's processing, she's getting something off of her chest, and she isn't necessarily looking for an answer. Not necessarily looking for an answer. And it's very hard for ladies, I think, sometimes to, to realize that if you're talking to another woman, that... She's not trying to fix you. But when you're talking to a guy, we're just like, this is what we do. We protect, we nurture, we, we cultivate. If you tell us about a problem, we fix it. So it's very, you know, it's very frustrating for Kathy when she's halfway about through telling me about a problem, and I'm already working on the answer. And then she tells me at the end that she doesn't want me to fix it. I'm like, what the heck did you tell me about it for then? <laughs> So, so I, I think some of it, it has to do with, you know, women, men. But the other, and another part, and you can, you can speak in this in a second. The other part is, is what kind of a processor. Like, I, I don't do well processing by myself. Kathy can tell you, like, the worst thing that happens to me, except for when I'm exact, ex, ex, exhausted. Like, I need to sleep. Sometimes, you know, I'll be really, really troubled, and Kathy will want to talk, and I'm like, I know I need to sleep, because I'm not going to say anything positive, and it's not going to be helpful. But the next morning, when I get up, or as soon as we have a break, like, I need to talk. Because I come to conclusions by talking through it. Leaving me by myself to figure out what it is that's going on inside is a really bad plan for me. <laughs> so, so some of it is how you're wired, you know. And, um, and you, you, you want to speak into that at oh, all? Just, just understanding, you know, e- each other is really, really helpful. And, uh, you know, I don't know... You may disagree with this, but I don't know if it's always good to leave a person in a place like me where I don't process things very well out loud or even with other people. And, you know, Chris has always been my best friend. We've been together since I was 12. So he's, he's my, he was my childhood sweetheart in everything. And so we literally grew up together um, and so he knows me, he knows me really well, and he knows my strengths, and he knows my weaknesses, and he's chosen to try and help pull me out of some of my weaknesses, and some of them would be not talking about things or just letting things eat me up inside, and so he's been really good at noticing things like my habits or what I do when something's bothering me. I used to tell him before we were Christians, you know things about me that I don't even know about me. How many times did I tell you that? All of our dating life, before we were Christians, and it's because of the prophetic, but we didn't know that. But, but God would be talking to him about me, and he would end up helping me process through things by just kind of throwing out questions or statements to kind of provoke me into um, dialoguing. But, but we got to remember we have to create a safe place 
especially for a person like me, to be able to open up and tell you something. Because we don't want to all of a sudden open up our heart and then have somebody come and squish it. Um, and a lot of times it gets squished not intentionally, unintentionally. But um, just, you know, know the person, Good. get to know the person really well that you're, you're um, helping there. Good. Hope that helps. Next question. I'm Daniel from Pismo Beach, California. Are you single? Yes. All right. Um, I have a question about, like, dreams. Like, how much do you pay attention to dreams for, like, the opposite sex? Like, especially if they're kind of a lot. I mean, not a ton, but a, a, a good amount. Well, I'm not trying to be funny or rude. Are you talking about sexual dreams, or are you just no. talking about conne connection like kind of dreams? Yeah. Yeah, well, it's one of God's languages, as long as we realize that, you know, when, you, when, you're, when you're single, you're single, obviously, and you were, you were made to be married unless you have a special gift from God, which we went over once already in class. So it, it is, it's natural for you, for your, I'm talking about your soul, it's natural for your soul to be reaching out. And, and you, in other words, some of these dreams you have are from your human spirit or human soul, how, however you want to put it. And not, obviously you've learned that not every dream is from God, right? So when, when I have a need in me, I'm often dreaming about that need in a way that says, hey, meet this need. So I, I would say that when, I wouldn't put so much weight necessarily in, hey, I'm dreaming about this particular girl. But I would put a lot of weight in, probably it's a season for me to get married because my soul's crying out for a helper. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's good. I would, I would put, like if I'm dreaming about the same girl all the time and, it's, and I really have prayed about it, you know, that, that's a different thing. And by the way, I think I already said it, but we, we don't want to marry somebody who we have this prophecy over, who we have no passion for, and we don't want to ever manipulate somebody into a marriage because of prophecy. In fact, if you had five prophecies about marrying the same girl, I would never ever tell her till the wedding was over. I wouldn't. Because if something happens and you don't marry that girl, and she marries someone else, the first fight she has with, with her husband, she thinks, I married the wrong guy. And, uh, and somebody asked this question, I thought it was a beautiful question today. They said, do you think there's only one right person in your life to marry? I don't believe that's true. I believe that God has given us free will and that he gives us free choice. And by the way, we came into the world in John chapter 1, it says that Jesus wasn't born by the will of the flesh or by the will of man, but by the will of the spirit. What did, what's the point? Most of us came into, everybody in this room, well, let's not make it that broad. Almost everybody in this room came into the world through the will of the flesh. Now, I'm not talking about the will of evil. I'm, the will of flesh means I, Kathy and I made a decision to have a sexual encounter and out of that came children. If we had chosen not to or to use birth control, then, then we would have not had children in 95% you know, of the cases. Are you, are you following me? In other words, we, get, we got to choose how many children we would have because children are born out of the will of the flesh. So, and, and then God goes, oh, you two decided to have a child I'm the th third cord, and what you agreed to on earth, I will agree to in heaven, and that child will be from me, but you made the decision. So if God gives us a choice on who to bring into the world, and if we're going to bring anybody into the world, certainly he's given us the choice who we will marry.
Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I'm Jordan, and I'm single. Awesome, Jordan. Um, thank you. Thank you. Um, You're obviously not related to Michael because you're white. No, my middle name is Michael, though, so I'm oh, like the, the white wow. reverse so Michael Jordan. Um, okay, so um, my question is, during uh, your marriage, and specifically for you, Kathy, this question is for, um, you guys had struggles, and, uh, you know, those looked probably like different nuances of struggles during your marriage. Um, as a man, um, how can a man impart life to his wife in those situations? Um, because I, I feel like sometimes uh, in a relationship, the woman seems to be way, way more affected by situations sometimes than a man is. And so how can a man pour life into her? And um, what... What have you seen as a pattern in your life that has brought most, most life into your heart? Let me say this. I would just say, she's going to tell okay. you what the answer is, but I just want to clarify something. I, in our relationship, I'm very much more affected by certain things than she is, and she's very much more affected by other things than I am. Like we, we, don't, we don't carry the same weight for the same things, which is good. So if our kids are not doing well, I would say I do way worse than she does with that. If we're not doing well financially, I would say I do way better than she does about that. So I think it, so I would clarify in our relationship at least, what really troubles her doesn't typically trouble me too much. What really troubles me, she doesn't carry it the same way I do, which is, I think, really, in our relationship at least, is good. But go ahead and you. Yeah, I just think that, um, you know, putting each other first making sure that needs are, are being met. Um, and I think I lost part of your question. Uh, he's, he's asking, like, when we go through, when a gal, when a woman goes through trouble, especially like when you're married, oh, yeah. what can you do to really, you know, help lessen the pain or, or you know, and not be a, you know, be a protector? For, for me as a woman, just knowing that he understands and he's listened to my heart. Even if he doesn't fix it, just knowing that I've been heard and I've been listened to and that I feel like I've got some compassion here. He may not even have any idea of what to do, what to say, or even have the means to fix something. Um, but just knowing that he's understanding and that he's listening and he's, com he's, he's hearing my heart, I think that's the biggest thing. Um, it always makes me feel way better. And what Chris had said was so true. When, when we got married, before we got married, we always said when one person is up, or no, when one person is down, the other person can never be down. They always have to be up. And it was kind of a little joke thing, but it's so hold, held true in our marriage. The things that bother him, I've been the strong one and have kind of helped walk us through that part. And op, you know, things opposite where finances um, had been crashing in all around. Chris was a real positive one and really helped pull me out of it. So it's just speaking life to one another instead of agreeing about death. Because there's enough of that around. We don't need to hear yeah. any more of that. Yeah, we just uh, need support. Guys, I hope you heard this part because I heard a bunch of the ladies say amen, and it's very true. Like she's, The key, she said, is I, when I feel listened to. When I feel listened to, like that is much bigger than a, than a I, it's it's important for a guy, by the way, but but it's huge for a woman. Like I feel like you listen to me, 
Not, I feel like you solved my problem. That, that is so huge for a woman, which I never understood. So, anyway. Hi, I'm Joseph from Oklahoma. Yes, I'm single to save you some Okay. Um, how did you, during the time of having a hard time, keep the child, uh, your kids positive about it? Uh, um, from being um, negative towards, like, dad or mom? We always included them in everything that was going on. And I know there's a lot of parents that try to shelter their kids from pain, try to shelter their kids from situations or hard things. Um, you know, we didn't want to throw them into the midst of the fire, but we, they did know everything that was going on. And the reason is, is because um, the testimony is so much greater for them when they've, when they've walked through something and they've been part of a family unit is praying um, for provision, praying for whatever, breakthrough. Um, and we've seen our kids grow. Their faith just skyrocketed. Things that we couldn't even believe for, they were like... But remember when this happened and remember when that happened. And I can remember my kids. <laughs> we had no money. And my kids coming downstairs with these little bags of, like, lunch bags. And they turned it upside down on the table. And it was all their pennies and nickels that they had collected. And they said, here, Mommy, will this help? Talk about your heart ripping out. Mine did. But you know what? My kids are so strong today because of what they went through and what they learned through those times. And, you know, we just, we were, we were a family. You know, a family stays together and they just, you know, and I'm not saying that, you know, that's going to be the model for everybody. You have to, you know, you have to come to that decision on your own. But I know for us, we... We didn't try to hide things for kids because we wanted them to see the, the breakthrough when God showed up. I, I will tell you um, this little thing. I was, I've been thinking about it all week, actually. Our, um, we, what we learned from Bill and Benny is that you never complained about people and you were never disloyal to authority. And disloyal meant you never spoke against authority. So I remember this one time we were sitting around uh, for dinner. You'll remember this, I'm sure. We're sitting around, we're having dinner with the kids, and I think Jason's probably like seven, and he has a teacher named Mrs. Derryberry. And he's, he's not, you know, Jason was never a good student anyway. <laughs> and, and Mrs. Derryberry was his first, probably his first teacher that really like said, you're going to do the work. So, you know, she was like, you, you will do the work, not just get an F. You won't just get an F. You will, you will do this work over and over until you get it right. So one, so one night he comes home, and... Uh, <laughs> and he says, uh, and, and he looks up and he's, you know, every, we're eating dinner. We're eating dinner. And he's we're shoveling all, food into his mouth. Yeah, he's shoveling food in his mouth. And, he, and then, you know, we're all kind of talking about the day. And then it kind of comes to him and he goes, That Mrs. Derryberry. <laughs> and he goes, and he looks up and I'm looking at him. And he goes, I like her so much. <laughs> So, so one thing I, I think it like, like, um, like, I, I look at that now and I realize, you know, every one of my children, without any inspiration from us, as adults, they're pastoring other churches. Two of our children are pastoring other churches, husband and wife teams, and they they have both come 
In fact, they both come and make a covenant with Bill on their own. One day I see my, my daughter and son-in-law walking out of Bill's office. I didn't even know they were here. They live in another town. I said, what are you doing here? They said, oh, well, God told us we're going to make a covenant with Bill. Wow. My son loves Bill, my Jason. He loves Bill, and when he was in trouble in his marriage, he went in to see Bill. And he came to see me, and I said, I think you need to go talk to Bill. Bill's our spiritual father. He's your spiritual grandfather. You need to go see Bill. And my kids respect Bill because we never spoke about, we never spoke against authority, even when we were frustrated. And I, what I watch happen is I watch people get frustrated with their leaders. They have their leader for breakfast around the breakfast table. And then they, they fix it with the leader, but the kids never get to see that part. And then they grow up, and when they're in trouble, they don't trust leaders, they don't trust church leaders, they don't trust policemen, they don't trust, they don't trust people in authority, they don't trust political leaders, because their parents spoke against authority in, 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 the, in the home. And we never, we never ever did that when our kids were growing up. We never, we never spoke against authority. And when we, were even, when we would get frustrated, we might privately in our own room talk through something. Maybe we were frustrated with Bill and Benny or whatever because they were our leaders, and of course we had those times. But we never ever included the kids in any kind of like, okay, let's, let's talk through the problem we have with Bill. Why? Because they're not going to be there for the solution. And so our kids, I can tell you that when we talk about parenting or, or, or authority, our kids don't, you guys know, Jay, they don't have a problem with authority because they were never taught that authority was bad. So I think that's really important. I think we're supposed to be done. Is that true? Can you all stand? Kathy's going to pray for you. A very short, woman, not a woman prayer. She's going to do a very short man prayer. Don't use all your vocabulary. I'll save some of it for tonight. <laughs> oh, I didn't. That, that could have come out kind of wrong. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Father, thank you for what you're doing here today. Lord, I just pray that. Oh, Father, I just pray that you blanket us with your love. Father, that as people walk into covenant relationships, God, that they realize what they're coveting to, what they're connecting to. Father, that it wouldn't be some flippant thing, but it would be something that they are dedicated to, passionately pursuing, mm -hmm. and Father, that you're in. Lord, I just pray for men and women that are looking for their spouse. And Lord, I pray that this would be a season of discovery, a season of finding, a season of of just connection, God. Father, that we would be able to passionately pursue not only you, but one another. And Father, I just pray for healthy relationships. I pray for fun. Lots of fun. Sacrifice. <laughs> fun. And that you would bring the walls down. Bring the walls down, God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, guys.